Okay, uh, today's passage is Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, good morning. Uh, My name is Gabe Coyle. I'm the campus pastor here at Christ Communities downtown campus, and it is a pleasure to just be with you this morning. And I want to open up in a word of prayer just as we turn to Scripture. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Um, There's so much of my life, so much of my perspective, so much of who I am that's really situated to a particular time and a particular place and my own personal story, and I need your word to speak to me. I need, we need your word. We need the words of Jesus to really shape and guide us to an even better truth, a real truth, a lasting truth that spans cultures and points us back to your good design. God, I know that there are so many different emotions in this space, and this is a really sensitive topic, and so I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would guide us to have ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of your word, and that we would receive it with open arms, knowing that in all of it is both grace and truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been walking through Matthew's account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And Matthew, he's wanted us to see really who he saw and that Jesus is much more than we often think he is. So often we can think that Jesus was a really smart rabbi in the first century. And often what we mean by that is that he encapsulates first century ideals, but really isn't timeless in understanding our world today. Or we think he's a really good and kind person, very empathetic that can guide us. But really what Matthew wants us to see, who Matthew experienced, is so much more than that. Really Jesus, the Jesus that Matthew wants us to know, the one that he walked and talked with is the king over everything. It doesn't preclude him from being this really smart rabbi or very empathetic person, but so much more, the king over everything. And if that's true, then it it forces us to ask a different kind of question. It forces us to ask, what does it look like for us to be subjects of this king? What does it look like for us to follow this king in everything? 
Now, last week, Jesus kind of meddled <laughs> a little bit in some of the most intimate relationships of our lives. And those spaces, those friendships, those relationships where it's really difficult for us to forgive. And what we saw is that the call to follow Jesus is simultaneously a call to always chase forgiveness, always. And so it's not a coincidence that after Jesus had said all of these things, Matthew says, that the topic, this really painful, really personal topic of divorce is raised. Because I mean, I know forgiveness is a hallmark of the Christian faith, but what does that do when it enters the realm of marriage? When is it okay for I do to become I won't any longer? You know, growing up, I grew up in a broken home, um, and my mom is an avid follower of Jesus, someone who often found her nose in the book, reading scripture and praying, and this is a question she asked. And she sought counsel from my pastor and, you know, was thinking, okay, what does it look like for me to be faithful? I mean, how many affairs must take place? How, how many lives must I endure? How long do I have to live in this abandonment before it's okay? And she wrestled with fear, of course, because nobody ever plans for this, do they? You, you don't go into the wedding day looking forward to that certificate of divorce. You know, nobody does that. And of course, there's grace that comes in the gospel, but in the Christian community, there's also this twinge of guilt, and there's tears, there's fear, there's, there's financial insecurity that comes with this, and even with me, with my dad being gone, asking the question, what does it look like for her to play both the mom role and the dad role for me, and, and then of course, that now what moment that comes after like a fog, after everything has been said and done. Listen, I, I didn't understand all of that then, and I, I don't claim to say I can fully grasp what all the pain my mom went through in that moment. But one thing I do know, the longer I live, the more I know just how painful divorce is. Painful. Way beyond even what we could have anticipated if you ever enter into it. And just how complex it is for all of us too. I mean, thinking about this topic, I started running through different stories in my own life. Allie and I have some friends in Chicago and um, <clears throat> And I remember, they, they didn't know it at the time, we didn't really know it at the time, but what they were in love with wasn't each other, but the idea of marriage. And they thought, you know, hey, we're two Christians, we're growing up, the responsible, mature thing to do is to get married. And to step into adulthood, it didn't matter who you stepped into adulthood with, just as long as you linked your arms with someone. And as soon as they said, I do, I do and after kind of all that celebration kind of dissipated, it's almost like they wished they hadn't. I mean, that very first year was just painful situation after painful situation and some really unique scenarios. I mean, the guy, he wanted to, he, he was so worried about divorce too and the complexities of divorce that he actually, and his wife was wrestling with some mental stuff, he just told her to go and kill herself. I mean, it was awful and this was wrong. This was terrible. And simultaneously in his mind, he thought that was easier than divorce. You know, it made me think of another story of um, another couple that are friends of Allie's and mine, and, and, and they've been married a lot longer than we have. They've got a few kids, and they were kind of a couple we looked up to, and then there came out that, that the guy had a history of porn addiction, and she had been flirting with guys on social media, and then finally, when everything came to the fore, you know, he was repentant, he was pursuing reconciliation, and you can only just imagine the wounds of all of that for her. 
And they wrestled and pursued this for like for over a year until finally she started going out with the guys that she was meeting on social media. She would come back, things would blow up, right? And then the old arguments would surface again until finally it devolved to lawyers, police intervention, monitored communication, and litigation that has just cost them a ton and still going on. It's not resolved. It keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed in the courts. And then, of course, their kids, right? And here's the deal. Divorce is just painful. And we, there are so many more stories, so much more hurt, and it's so much more complex. And I, I can look around this room, and I know that all of us, in one, some way, shape, or form, have a story of divorce in our lives. Either you were the one who pursued divorce, and you had your reasons, or you were forced into divorce, and they had their reasons, or you had some friends who were getting divorced, and you had to choose who was going to be your future friend, right? <laughs> As the social circles are starting to be broken up, and or you had loved ones who went through divorce. And Listen, I mean, divorce, it touches all of our lives, and every time it touches us, in one way, shape, or form, it leaves a scar. It is painful. And that leads us to our question this morning. What does Jesus have to say about divorce? And what does that mean for us? I mean, what does that mean for us as a church, our families, our future? And fortunately, this isn't like something that's new right, in the 21st century. Actually, divorce was real prominent in the first century, too. There are a whole bunch of different perspectives on when it was appropriate, when it wasn't, and um, so much so that this group of people came to Jesus, and they asked the question we all want to know. They asked a question around this really painful, sensitive issue of divorce. And over the next few minutes, we're going to explore this passage and what Jesus has to say about this topic. And you know what this reminds us of? Just as we're sitting here and we're thinking about this topic, it reminds us once again just how relevant God's word is. That this isn't just some ancient text that speaks on issues that don't really touch our lives, but the serious questions, the ones that are at the center of humanity, spark up every generation afresh, and Jesus is just as relevant in the 21st century as he was in the first. Now, amidst all of that, I do want to give one caveat, okay? Um, as we go into this topic, I'm not going to be able to say everything, <laughs> that the Bible has to say about divorce and marriage and remarriage. I'm really not even going to be able to unpack all of the implications of what Jesus is saying here in this one passage. But we're going to dive deep, as deep as we can this morning, into what Jesus says here. And then because that always sparks a ton of questions, always, and usually very personal questions, either with about a friend or, you know, or you or... Um, we're going to have a time of Q&A. I'm going to intentionally park myself over there around that piano table. We try to set up some more chairs there. That I want you, while you're listening, to write down any questions you have. Um, there's no bad questions. And, and I won't promise to say I've got the answers to all of them, okay? <laughs> but what I do promise is that we'll talk through them. And then I will do my absolute best to either point you in the right direction or wrestle through it with you, okay? So with all of that said, why don't we go ahead and open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Verse 3, where this question of divorce is raised. And we read, the Pharisees came up to him, they came up to Jesus, and they tested him by asking, is it lawful? Okay, and with lawful, let's be very clear, they're not asking, okay, is the Roman Empire approve of this? Okay, just because they're the occupying power. What is legal doesn't necessarily entail it to be moral, what they're asking is, what does God have to say in his word? What does the law of Moses 
point to about God's affirmation of something that's okay. So is it legal or is it lawful to divorce one's life for any cause? Let's see how Jesus answers here in verse 4. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Do you see what Jesus did there? He kind of does like this ninja move. Um, <laughs> because he doesn't just start going through case law, like it's okay over here and it's not okay over here. It's fine in this situation, but it's not fine in this situation. He doesn't even really plant himself in a particular party line. Jesus reframes the conversation with a completely different question. How? He brings us back to what God's design and definition of marriage is all the way in the beginning. And where does he get his history? When Jesus is looking for something that's authoritative, that comes to define how and the way in which we are to live together as community, where does he go? If you want to follow Jesus and his understanding of marriage, if you want to follow Jesus in his understanding of divorce, then you need to follow him all the way back to the beginning in a book that literally means beginning, Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, this is where Jesus is pointing, and he quotes from Genesis chapter 2 verbatim, okay? And, and Jesus says, this is what God says. You notice he doesn't say this what Moses says. He says, what did God say? <laughs> Haven't you read what's written? And in Genesis 2, this is before any flaw had come into God's creation. This is when God's perfect will is done perfectly. This is before selfishness. This is before pain had entered his good world. And God creates these two human beings, Adam and Eve, complementary in gender, male and female. And then Jesus says in our passage that or God orchestrates this first wedding, and he says over them, God says this over them, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And just in case we miss it, you know, he gets really repetitive here. And God says it again, this man and woman aren't two people anymore. They're mysteriously somehow one, like a whole new creation. That's one unit. God's design for marriage from the very beginning is a covenant, a lifetime covenant between a man and a woman. And Jesus says that that's still the standard for the first century. After all of everything that's happened in history, Jesus says, haven't you read? This is still true today. And nothing as groundbreaking as God becoming flesh has happened. So it's still, that's true, it's still true and still the standard for the 21st century, you see. If anybody thinks they're greater than Jesus, by all means, I mean, you can choose to divert what Jesus holds as the standard, but what Jesus says is the standard for the first century and is so still the standard for the 21st century is a lifetime covenant, a commitment between one man and one woman. What God the creator has joined together is now one new creation. No person, no human person should ever try to divide. So in answer to the Pharisees' question, is it lawful to divorce one's wife? Is it morally good? For any cause, Jesus' answer in the midst of so many opinions, so many perspectives, here it is, get ready. What God has made one, don't look to try and have undone. What God has made one, don't look and try to have undone. In other words, marriage is God's idea. Divorce 
and any of the other distortions out there are man's, humankind's. And we're so far from God's good standard of flourishing. That's why it's a standard, because it's for our good. According to Jesus, it's because we're always trying to destroy what God is putting together, what God is trying to uphold. That's the nature of sin. It misses the mark of God's good design. And so out of all these options, then, the Pharisees weren't ready for this one. And basically, they try to shoot back from the hip. And in verse 7, we read, Well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And, you know, even as I'm walking through this passage, I know we have a tendency, and I I see this in myself, that these are really hard words for all of us because of our cultural situation, to see and hear what Jesus is about to say through a lens of woundedness and pain and feel very attacked and to actually begin to shut down. I, I would really encourage you to fight that, okay? Stick with me. This is, this is if, if we do that, if we forget who Jesus is talking to, the Pharisees, remember that he's speaking to the Pharisees who are coming very arrogantly at Jesus to test him. If we forget that, we're going to forget that Jesus is being really merciful at the same time of holding up God's truth and his design, okay? So stay with me. So what does Jesus say to what the Pharisees ask? Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. It was not so. Okay, so everybody's talking about Moses. So what on earth did Moses say? Like, what's the pretext here behind this conversation? And that reminds us, right? They're they're looking to the Old Testament law. So what are they talking about? Well, they're talking about Moses' last sermon before he dies, kind of his state of the union, um, and what it means to be God's people, Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, I just want to read that quickly so that we know what kind of they're referencing here. Moses writes, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she's been defiled for that is an abomination before the Lord and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. It's clear as mud, right? Okay, so here's the deal. Um, The Pharisees said that Moses commanded them. Do you see anywhere in here a command for divorce? And you notice that's not what Jesus says Moses did. (laughs) The Pharisees had skewed, misunderstood what Moses was communicating. Jesus is like, hey, whoa, 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 all right? Pharisees, you missed it. Moses never commanded you to get a divorce. He allowed you to get divorced. It was, and it, from the beginning, this wasn't God's design. This is not what he had in store. And it's inviting destruction and pain and heartache in your lives. Because God's desire and design is what God has made one don't look to have undone. You see, in Deuteronomy 24, believe it or not, Moses is giving an allowance to protect the vulnerable, not free the powerful. To protect the vulnerable, not free the powerful. Okay, Gabe, prove it, right? I know, I know. We just want to write off everything that Moses wrote, but that's not the case here. This is really God caring for the vulnerable in this situation. Here's how. In a patriarchal society, a man's world, okay, um, women were treated like property. This was the case. And 
what a man could do is basically send her out of his house. He could send her out of his house. And then what she would probably do in a traditional culture is go and pursue another marriage because marriage was the place of security. It was actually the one place in a traditional culture where the woman could be cared for and also contribute. It's not like, you know, current culture today where there's consistent fighting for women's rights. But in ancient culture and patriarchal society, women were basically treated like property. So if he sent her out without a certificate of divorce, then the community could see that as adultery which was punishable by death. And Moses is like, if you get a divorce, if you send her out of your house, at least give her a certificate of divorce. Look out for her, guys. Come on. He's caring for the vulnerable even in that midst. He's not saying you have to, but if you guys are going to do this, at least care for this woman by writing her a certificate of divorce so she's not wrongfully accused. Also, Moses is protecting against this like... um, casual divorce that's based upon a whim. So if you look, and that's really anchored in this text. So if you send this, what what does Moses say? If you send a person, you know, this woman out of your house and she marries someone else and then he dies, you're not supposed to come take her back because it's like, well, I didn't like her then. I like her now. And what 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 they're basically doing is treating women like property. They're passing them around like, oh, I want her now and I don't want her now. And that dehumanizes someone. And that, that is abhorrent to God to ever treat a human being with such indignity. This casual divorce has no respect to the other person, especially someone as vulnerable as women in a patriarchal society. And that kind of dehumanizing behavior, sin, it ignores God's intention for marriage, and it's driven by this hard, self-centered heart that the Pharisees... And isn't this ironic that a passage that was meant to help protect the vulnerable in a society is actually being used and looked into to now make an argument for casual divorce and treat women in vulnerable situations. Jesus is exposing the hardness of the pharisaical heart here. And maybe you're sitting here and you're going, okay, Gabe, maybe, just maybe, okay, what God has made one, I shouldn't be looking to have undone, but there's got to be an exception, right? There's got to be something that's so awful, so horrendous, that the oneness of marriage is undone and divorce is allowable. I, I need you to look up here for a second. I have talked, one with my mom, I've talked with men and women who've gone through divorce, and you know the metaphor they use for divorce, death. I've tried to use lighter metaphors, and every time they're like, no, 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 no. It's like death. It's like the one person you, you've loved, you committed your life to, they died And now they're just walking around living their life without you. It's awful. It's hard. It's gut-wrenching. Don't ever try to downplay it. So the question is then, are there ever situations then when a marriage can get so deadly that actually the death of divorce is a severe mercy? And Jesus says yes. Look here, God doesn't permit, I mean, God does permit. He doesn't command, he doesn't celebrate, but he permits divorce in some cases. And this is where we see Jesus say, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, except for this one situation, okay? So that's the exception, and we're gonna look at that in a minute. 
But whoever divorces his wife and then marries another, except for that one exception, actually starts this new marriage by committing adultery. What does that mean? That one flesh union has not yet been torn apart. But when you engage in a new marriage without sexual immorality, that oneness is violently ripped apart before a, one, a new oneness can be created. So let's look at this term, sexual immorality. It's actually the word porneia, and it's a broad term, okay? It's a broad term that, that is already, it communicates that anything that has been done, that already has undone the oneness of that intimacy within marriage. And, and I'm of the conviction, as I look across the pages of Scripture, what Jesus is talking about is that includes three things. It includes adultery, it includes abuse, and it includes abandonment, all the forms of, of death and also a form of breaking that oneness that is at the very center of the marriage bond. These, these actions, they fracture that oneness and it breaks the promise, the covenant of lifelong marriage between a man and a woman. But here's what Jesus isn't saying, okay? And I need to say this. What Jesus isn't saying is that if you have a spouse that does commit sexual immorality, that you then have to get a divorce. The Pharisees said it was a command. Jesus says it's allowed. And listen to me here. We as the people who have been deeply forgiven know that forgiveness can be possible for the most outlandish of things. If both are willing to move forward in gospel-shaped forgiveness and gospel-shaped transformation. It takes two to tango on that. I understand what has been undone can be chosen to be redone. And the beauty of reconciliation, if our Lord Jesus died on a cross three days later, rose again and defeated death, he can defeat, he can bring to life a marriage that has been dead for years. That's what he can do. That's the gospel. If that's not true, then why are we meeting here? That's the kind of real life transformation that's possible. So Jesus isn't commanding divorce, but he is saying it's permitted. In other words, what God has made one, don't look to have undone. And there are even times where we chase for it to be redone. And that may sound really shocking to you. And I want you to hear this. You're not alone. Because look at how the disciples respond. Like their response should be a marker to, to understand that we should be pretty shocked by this as well. Because listen, in a first century culture where marriage was everything, like it was everything to be married, and also a first century culture where your marriages were arranged. <laughs> we often forget that. It's like, well, they got to pick their spouse. Not really. Mom and dad really had a good friend with their buddies. And they said, well, this would be great if our families were together. You know, like, so your mom and dad picked your spouse. And so the disciples, <laughs> they're sitting there. And they're, they're, they had no idea what they were getting into with marriage. And this is what they say. If such is the case for a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. And what does Jesus say? Guys, you're, you're, you're blowing things out of proportion. Come on. Everybody's supposed to get married. No. <laughs> what Jesus actually says is, well, sometimes. <laughs> For some of you, yes, it is better. For those who can receive it. You hear this? For those who can receive it. And it's not just okay, and it's not that you've just settled, and it's not that you're now a second-class citizen. It's actually better for you. It's good. It should be celebrated. Now, in our culture, we hear that it's better not to marry, and I think sometimes we think, yeah, I agree with that. It's better to cohabitate. You know, we'll figure it out. 
I've given up on marriage years ago. We're just going to do this thing our own way. Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about either. And we see this clearly defined by the, this weird word that I don't think shows up in most of your weekly conversations. Um, and if it does, I want to know what you're talking about. Um, the word eunuch, okay? This word eunuch, it has everything to do with particular sexual organs, right? Either they don't work and you were born that way, or other people made them not work, and then Jesus basically says there are other people who choose not to use them. So everything about that communicates celibacy, all right? So if it's, not, if it's better not to marry, these are your three options. All three of them are celibacy, considering the particular word that Jesus highlights here. And Jesus is like, this is really good, okay? You, you may have not chosen it, but it's just kind of the way you're born and you've never really had a passion to get married. No hurry to run into it, okay? That's okay. You are still an equal citizen of the kingdom of heaven and it's something to celebrate. Others of you, this has been a decision made for you through various reasons. And then others of you have chosen singleness for the sake of the kingdom. For the sake of the kingdom. And this is something for those who can receive it. Can receive it. Now, I know we've covered a lot of ground. I mean, somehow J Jesus is asked about divorce and he gives us a theology of marriage and somehow affirms and gives us a theology of singleness. This is totally signature Jesus, right? You come up with a couple loaves and fishes and voila. Um, and it's really hard to take all this in. I mean, this is a bit of a feast. But um, in light of all this, we do got to ask this question now. Okay, if Jesus is saying this about marriage, if this is what he's saying about divorce, if this is what he's saying about singleness, how does this change my life? How does this change my perspective when I go on that next date? What does this have to do with my future plans? What, what does this have to do with the relationships I'm in or the relationships I hope to be in tomorrow? And I think there's one thing, one suggestion I, I want to make that could make all the difference. No matter your re relationship status, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're curiously looking, whether you're dating, whether you're engaged, whether you're considering divorce, you are divorced, or you're divorced and considering remarriage, this one question I want you to ask yourself. This next seven days, I want you to think about it. I want you to pray through it. And honestly ask yourself, do you know what you're getting into? Do you know what you're getting into? Because maybe you're here and you're single and you're not in any hurry to get married. Like Jesus' call here to celibacy is like music to your ears. And you're like, yeah, I'm on that train. I'm staying on that train. I've talked to people and that's their calling. That's not my calling. But I've talked to people and they're like, yeah, this is where I'm at. And for all of us, we're single for a season. But for some, are really called. And that may be you. Like the Apostle Paul when he says, I wish that all of you were like I am, a.k.a. single. And you're like, yeah, word, that's my mantra. Well, do you know what you're getting into? Because singleness, it's beautiful. It really is wonderful. It's not something to shirk at. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It can be wonderful. But this better path for you isn't just for you. This better path for you isn't just for you. If we're not careful, singleness can also become an avenue and where we just do whatever tickles our fancy and so it becomes a place of self-absorption. I've been reading a little bit from a single person named Eve Tushnet. Um, and she has a couple different books. And, and one of her books on a chapter on spiritual friendship, as a single person, she writes to other singles. And so I thought this was important for me as a married guy to quote somebody who's single, <laughs> communicating to those of you who are single. And this is what she writes. I think this is really good 
She says, for single people who live alone, it might be worth asking this. Are there ways I could get a little closer to offering the on-call love my married and parenting friends so often must provide? I wake up in a bed with my wife, and if she wants to do something different than me, I need to learn to say no to me and yes to her when we go about our day. When my kids come and wake me up in the morning, I want to sleep in. I so desperately want to sleep in, but i got to make them breakfast. It's on-call love. It's not a decision I get to make. Um, Are there times when I hold myself back from others because I'm too attached to my freedom, the pleasure of my own company, and the security of my own plans and preferences? And Eve Tushnet says, if this is your calling, if this is where you're at today, are you asking yourself that question, that on-call kind of love? Do you know what you're getting into? For the sake of the kingdom becomes the now new question for those who are pursuing to live a life of singleness and celibacy. That is the question that we ask of ourselves as followers of Jesus. Now, there are some of you who are here that are um, wanting to be married. You're looking, you're dating, you're engaged. Or you are married, and you're asking, what does it look like to pursue marriage? What does it look like for us to walk in marriage? That's the another question is, do you know what you're getting into? Or do you know what you've gotten into? <laughs> Too late. Um, <laughs> so here's the deal. Marriage is also beautiful and wonderful. I love it. I'm really thankful for Allie every day. She makes me a better person. But it isn't an institution now where I just get my, need met, my needs met or my wants met. You know, it's really tricky when God makes a new creation and he puts two minds in it. <laughs> you know, one thing, two minds, you know, that's, that's a little crazy. Um, it's a beautiful mess. It's beautiful, but it's really messy. And you have to remember what God has made one. Don't look to have undone. You have to fight for that oneness. Sometimes daily, sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly, sometimes minutely. <laughs> you know? That's the way it goes because you get two broken people that have now been made one flesh and they have two minds in this thing. And it's just, it's not easy. But do you know what you've gotten into here? Do you know what you're getting into? And maybe you're here this morning and you're married and you're contemplating divorce or you're single and you're keeping divorce in your back pocket. Thinking, well, if I do find that someone and it doesn't work, there is always divorce. Do you know what you're getting into? The pain, the heartache. I mean, divorce, even when it's permitted, even when it's quote unquote mutual, it's violent. It's one new creation that now it's ripped apart. Flesh is the language. One, one flesh that's ripped apart and they're fragments. It's hard. I mean, it rips apart socially, financially, vocationally. And then, of course, if there are kids in the equation, they were never called to, hey, you can be resilient. I was one of those folks who grew up in a broken home. No kid wants that. And it's really confusing growing up in that. It's really hard. And you got to share, you know, you got to share holidays and figure that out. And it's already hard enough with in-laws. Then you add, you know, like this, it's really hard. And I don't paint that at all to judge anybody or condemn, but to really let us see it for what it is. It is death. And I say that because I love you. And those of you who've gone through it, you know it and it's heavy. And so that's where I want to end this morning then is to say, what if divorce isn't something you're considering? It's not a question you're asking, but it's become your reality. And I've walked with friends, dear friends, who now ask that question, like with tears in their eyes, now what, Gabe? Like, that's the question my mom asked. And in one sense, she still asks, now what? I want to say first and foremost, if you've been married once, if you've been married twice, if you've been married 
five times. If you trust Christ, if you trust Christ and you receive him, all of your sin has been forgiven fully and forever. There is, as the Apostle Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No matter, no matter the failure you may have committed or the pain you've experienced, there's now therefore no condemnation. We read in Malachi that God hates divorce because he hates it when we go through it, but nowhere ever does, does God say he hates divorced people. He loves divorced people. Oh, he chases after divorced people. Now, is there pain, like real deep pain and lasting pain that comes from divorce? I would be a fool and a liar if I didn't say that there was. And the longer you're married, the longer you've become one flesh, the more you've shared memories, the deeper that rupture. Let's be very honest there. But there's forgiveness. There's such deep forgiveness. And I hope you hear that as like a validation to those of you who've gone through that pain. And even some answers to why you're experiencing this pain. Because what we hear in our narrative across the culture is, as evolved creatures, we were never made for monogamy. So what's your problem? Get over it and get going. But God's word says we're actually created either to flourish in singleness or in one relationship for a lifetime. So when we experience pain, when that one flesh is torn apart, it makes sense because it goes against God's design. I hope you hear that not as a way of ostracizing you in any way, shape, or form, but to really highlight that God's word is guiding us to flourish and I hope you know you're welcome here. I hope you know we love you here. We want you to serve here. God loves you. And every single person who walks through this door on a Sunday morning has to admit that we've all screwed up our lives so bad that we don't need just a couple little tweaks here and there, but all of us have to be made new. All of us have to be remade into new creatures. All of us have hard hearts that need to be softened. All of us have broken hearts that need to be made whole. All of us have jaded love that needs to, to live again. And you know what Jesus is crying out to us? We sang it earlier this morning, right before the scripture reading. What he's crying out to us from the cross with nail-pierced hands as he's reaching out and crying in words and actions louder than words is that, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always chase my oneness with you. I will always chase you. No matter your failures, I will chase in my faithfulness after you. I will hold you. And when you run from me, I'll chase after you. When you can't run any longer, I'll carry you. When you can't stand, I'll hold you. I love you. I always have and I always will. And not even death can hold that kind of love down. If we'll just receive him. If you'll receive him. And when we do receive him, he teaches us how to receive others as well. I mean, can you imagine if we really, if we really took the time to think through and know what we were actually getting into? We paused. And God's design and his, his guide for flourishing, if we paused and we really recognized what we were getting into, if we paused and asked ourselves, do we really know what we're getting into with following Jesus? You know what would happen? Singleness would be affirmed and not seen as a secondary calling. But it also would not become a place of self-absorption. Marriage would not be a place of escape or also self-absorption, but a place where there is creative energy on how to now continue to foster that oneness. Divorce would be non-existent. 
fatherlessness that plagues our country would no longer be around. Children would not be called upon to do something they were never called to do, which was be these resilient creatures that have to stand the broken and fracturing of marriages. But God has made one. Let's not try to look to have undone. And whatever your story, know God's grace envelops you. God's design continues to point us forward. But ask yourself, these next seven days, honestly, pray through it. Do you know what you're really getting into? Do you know what you're getting into? Let's pray. God, I, I know there are situations in my own life, and I know there are situations even in this room where maybe, just maybe, not a single word I've said has been heard. Because story after story after story of pain is running through the hearts and minds of some, of a friend personally or, or otherwise. But as we come to your word, you speak to us because you care about us. Not because you're trying to demolish us, not because you're trying to bury us in guilt, not because you want to get rid of us, but because you want to show us life and life abundant, because you want to redeem what is broken, because you want to point to better flourishing here on going forward as God's people. And so may we have ears to hear in the midst of so much pain. May we receive the grace that you offer. That sometimes is the hardest thing, just to receive forgiveness, receive grace. And so live our lives promoting your good design rather than trying to fight or explain it away. May we trust Jesus here. Oh, God, help us. And may we as a church love one another. Oh, so selflessly, no matter what relationship status, with the grace that we've received in the gospel. We do love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.